Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Songbook, the White Rabbit podcast all about books about music. I'm Jude Rogers, journalist, broadcaster and author of White Rabbit title, The Sound of Being Human, How Music Shapes Our Lives. Today's guest is someone I first came across, I think in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when my friend Michael, a huge Beatles fan, directed me to a show on the now sadly departed Absolute 60s radio station. Beatles Brunch was the best Sunday morning programme ever. Every week, a gorgeously curated playlist of beloved and unusual songs by the Fab Four, including solo hits, weird covers and great interviews as well. I then started listening to our guest on his other shows and later podcasts. In one of these, his wingman is the former leader of the Labour Party, Ed Miliband, and they have a double act energy that to me is up there with Morecambe and Wise. (laughs) Their show, Reasons to be Cheerful, also genuinely tries to find ways to better our world, which feels pretty comforting to me in these crazy times. I'm delighted to introduce the lovely Jeff Lloyd. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? Hello Jude. Thank you for inviting me. It's all its all I ever want is for somebody to give me permission to talk about the Beatles. In my marriage, sometimes my wife will use the Beatles as a carrot to motivate me. Uh, you know, if, if, if I'm perhaps a, a bit grumpy and surly, um, she'll, she'll let me bring it up in conversation or if it's my birthday or if she wants me to do some work with her, she'll say, how oh, should we watch one of the days from Get Back? It's It's... I've said before that if my brain is in standby, it's probably what I'm thinking about. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I can imagine that. Barely awake and there's some, something crackling around that's a, you know, yeah. a B-side from a, I don't know, Ringo Starr single from 1982. Um, now, obviously, um, this is going to be a Beatles special today. Um, you're speaking to us from home. You've got some Beatles stuff all around you. I'm not going to reveal the book we're going to be discussing just yet, but... I'm just going to start with this question straight up. Can you tell your readers when and how you got into the band? You know, in about a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it wasn't early, even though I think, um, you yeah, know, and, and you write about this in, in your book, um, them just being in the culture i was thinking about the other day one of, one of my many theories the other day was it was it's a bit like growing up in camelot after the knights of the round table had completed all their various quests and adventures but they're still these very present figures so i feel like we grew up in that and it's so weird to me that i was singing i guess in the late 70s um when i'm 64 at school, along with all these kind of rinky-dink old standards, like the music belonged to the, to the ether, to the culture, that strongly, even within, you know, a decade of the Beatles breaking up. So they, they were just there and, you know, um, the, the hits would still be played on the radio, on commercial radio, on Radio 1 back then. But it wasn't until I was, um, 
I think like nearly 20, the, a, a reissue of Plastic Ono Band came out, which is John Lennon's first solo album in which he'd just been through primal scream therapy. And, and that's what you hear on the record. It's him screaming. And a boss of mine at a radio station I was working at said, have you ever heard this? I said, no. He said, I'd take it in the studio and listen to it. And I stayed in for about three hours, just listened to it on repeat. I was so transfixed by it. And then I began the project of... Um, started with Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Arts Club Band and, and working outwards. And then with that, you're drawn into this world of fandom, which includes so many great and a lot of terrible books. <laughs> um, now, I've found plenty of Beatles naysayers over the years as well. I'm sure you have. Um, some people from Liverpool who grew up there and were sick about, you know, hearing about them all the time. Um, others who were, you know, their Beatles, you know, distaste, you know, very naffly, in my opinion, as like a badge of honour. What do you say to them? I always want an answer for those people. Well, I think people like what they like. Oh, but I think, but, 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 <laughs> but I generally think if somebody tells you they don't like the Beatles and they like rock and pop music, they're, they're telling you something about themselves, not about right. their taste in music. Because I don't believe you can like the genre and not, not appreciate it as a gold standard on, on some level, even if it's not your personal favourite. But I think especially people who kind of came of age in the 70s and during punk, it's really natural to want to rip up what's gone before. And I think that explains a lot of it. And I also think some people just bristle at being told, oh, this is the greatest thing. And and they want to mm. say, well, I'll make my own mind up what's the greatest thing. And, and it gets their backs up. But yeah. I think they're rarely talking about the music when, when they say they don't like the Beatles. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, in a moment, we'll introduce today's book. But first, I've got those three questions for you that I give all songbook guests. Now, the first one is, who was the first musical artist you loved? Now, given you like the Beatles late or got into the Beatles late was there anybody before that you know when you were very little well I was I was wondering about this like in some ways I wonder if I am the equivalent of a late in life virgin <laughs> and the Beatles were my one um and and again there's such a strong sense of this in in your book Jude but I think we were like really lucky to grow up in this country where top of the pops was the main way in which we discovered music and it's quite arbitrary what's in the chart on any given yeah. week so I feel that I had lots of crushes or yeah I remember you write about Adam Ant who I remember seeing him and thinking what is this and being both scared and excited Boy George as a similar thing so I had like lots of these one night pop stands with musical artists <laughs> um like the first record I loved was Elton John Goodbye Yellow Brick Road but now, if my son hears a record, I will find a music video and I'll, I'll tell him mm. about them and then we'll, uh, he'll ask if he wants it on his playlist. But if I had a record by Elton John, there's nowhere else for that to yeah. go. I can't, see El I can't see Elton John. I have to wait for him to crop up on something like The Muppet Show or Top of the Pops. <laughs> so I think I had a different relationship with music than somebody does if they're growing up in a house with real music fans, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so who was the first writer on music you loved? Were you somebody who followed the music press um, when you were young or did you get into music writing through Beatles books? So what happened was um, I got interested in radio at about 14. So would then buy things like Look In and mm. Smash Hits. And I just love uh, like Smash Hits. Um, I just adored how funny it was. And... Yeah, you're like you're like me. You've spent years interviewing musicians, and often 
not always, and, and sometimes it's an absolute privilege, but often getting something interesting out of them that they haven't said before mm. is really difficult. And Smash Hits did this great thing of making all those people stars, but at the same time, the feet were in our world as well. And yeah. they were you know, treating pop like it is simultaneously the most important and least important thing in the world. I think is a, a great approach. So I, Miranda Sawyer, I loved uh, Mark Allen, um, but it was more, I don't know that I was really thinking about individual writers so much at that stage. And then when I started working in radio, um, I worked with Craig Cash and Caroline Ahern, who went on to create wow. Mrs. Merton and the Royal Family. And Craig was my John Peel. So only at that point at 17, because Craig was um, a bit of a mentor to me. So I'd listened to him on the radio and then discovered all this Indian alternative music, which was kind of coming of age in the early 90s, 91, 92. We were in Manchester and that just sort of happened. So so that was the point at when I started digging and making the connections and buying the music press, I buy sounds and Melody Maker and Select and NME. And in a way, I think Melody Maker at that point was thought of as a bit lesser um the than the enemy in terms of the quality of writing but it was very it was very colorful it's big personalities mm. to me and the way that they'd sort of go all in on um silly fads and trends or you know a band that you wouldn't even think of three weeks later they'd think was about to be the most <laughs> important thing to revolutionize pop and i quite yeah i like that that, that combination of humor and strong yeah. opinion yeah definitely um what was the first music book you loved well, I think the first music book I loved was probably um, was probably a Beatles book because after I started buying the records, I then wanted to know the story, and still really one of, one of the best. I think um, it needs updating in terms of some of the facts in it, but Mark Lewison's The Beatles Recording Sessions, mm. where he had access to those tapes that had been sitting in an EMI vault for all those years and was able to chronicle what was on them and also because he is such an authority provide all the context and stories to go with it that was um that that was really the the first book where, where the story of the band or the story of any musician was interesting to me really I just cared about the records or what they were wearing or what they looked like in videos I think up until that point now, on to today's book. Of course, we could have picked one of many classic Beatles tomes, and I'm sure we'll mention many of them as we talk about this one. But the book we were both really excited to talk about was something very new. It was put together over a five-year period, over many conversations, between who I think is our joint favourite Beatle. Is that right? I don't know. I, I, I won't pick. Yeah, but, I, um... I always get the sense that it is, but you don't want to say. Anyway, who I think <laughs> and guess is our joint favourite Beatle and an award-winning Irish poet. It's essentially a series of interviews as essays, organised alphabetically with lots of gorgeous photographs from the last seven decades. And I have to say, when I got it for Christmas from my husband last year and opened it, I burst into tears. <laughs> Our book today is Paul McCartney, The Lyrics by Paul McCartney with Paul Muldoon. Now, Jeff, as an introduction to this book, um, tell me what your favourite books are about the Beatles and where this stands um, among them. I've already well, mentioned I, the Mark Lewison, obviously. Yeah, I, I love everything Mark Lewison does. And if people aren't familiar with him, he is the most forensic mm. biographer. If, if the Beatles always ended up with the people they deserved, like George Martin as their producer or Brian Epstein, who loved them and, and was able to 
launch them because of that that love for them i think um and this isn't my thoughts i've heard it on some podcasts but they they have ended up with the biographer they deserve and then there's just loads of other great books which are either i like a book that's a love letter to them uh, i like any bits of information i can glean from first-hand accounts uh, however untrustworthy some of them can be i love looking at the pictures um it's interesting that they when they the, the individual beetles when they tell their story it tends to be like this book we're talking about today the lyrics um which is it's kind of two coffee table books mm. really um the the photographs are, are almost I mean, it's a special book, but almost the most special thing about it. But when the Beatles told their story in the anthology, their version, mm. uh, an oral history, that book is enormous. It's not a book that you can sit down and read. And a lot of the text is part of the graphic design over photographs. It's it's never just been available as an ebook or a simple thing that you could sit down and read. George Harrison um, became friendly with a guy who has uh, a publishing company called Genesis publishing that published these very lavish uh, limited edition rock and roll um, biographies and autobiographies he published a book called I Me Mine which you could only you could only buy in an expensive leather bound inaccessible edition for many years I think until after he died and Ringo's brought out some lovely stuff with them he did one called Postcards from the Boys which oh, yeah. eventually came out as a a a, a yeah, but you could get in Waterstones or your local bookshop or whatever. But originally, it was this. I'm looking at it, it's this huge tin that looks like a post box, and it's it's very lovingly recreated facsimiles of cards that he received from the Beatles over the years. Fantastic, and yeah, really. It lovely. is. It's lovely because you just get so much more. And, and McCartney, the lyrics is a bit like this, more in the documentation and the photos than it is in the stories, Paul's. Paul chooses to tell. With me, what's interesting about the Beatles, because their story is so well known and their music is is so ubiquitous, it's figuring out what the dark matter is. Yes. So if the universe is mainly made up of dark matter, but you can't see it, it's trying to figure out what that is with the Beatles. And Get Back did that so brilliantly, mm. the Peter Jackson uh, documentaries, because you've you've always suspected what their energy and chemistry might be like, and you probably hoped it might be like this, but knowing people and no musicians, you've worried it might be like this. And then you get to see it and think, oh, that's how that dy dynamic mm. works. As I said, I've, I've read dozens, if not hundreds of books about them, and I, I learned so much from watching those documentaries. And that's what I get from something like Ringo's book, The Postcards One, or Hunter Davis brought out a book of... Um, John Lennon's letters, which also includes things like angry shopping lists or uh, notes to <laughs> oh, his personal assistant. And, and and that dark matter is is really interesting to me. And because Paul McCartney is such a, I mean, hoarder is one way of putting it, but archivist, mm. um, the, the wealth of materials that sit in the lyrics alongside the stories mm. really help you... Um, join the dots on a, a lot of that stuff. I yeah, think. definitely. The Beatles books I really love are, you know, the ones that uh, go around the edges. Um, you know, years ago now, I remember um, when Ian MacDonald's Revolution in the Head came out, it was this big, oh, you hear all the stories about, you know, what the intricacies of the recording sessions. And I remember Paul saying, well, that's his theory. You know, I didn't do this. And it was, you know, more of a interpretation. But I've really loved reading books by, you know, people who, uh, um, Patty Boyd's book, 
Um, yeah. You know, all these little details of people who are around the Beatles and you see, you know, um, you know, these godlike figures, you know, and what their behaviour was really like um, around the edges. And, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you That's know, why I like and A lot of Beatles fans really hate this book, um, the Craig oh, Brown really? book that came out a couple oh, of years that, ago. Oh, that one, is two, fantastic. Three, one, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so good because it's it's... I don't know, 100, 150 glimpses of the Beatles. It's moments. And um, the two criticisms I've heard about it are that it doesn't contain original research and it it um, perpetuates the kind of misogyny and racism around Yoko. But what's great about the Craig Brown book is it it will... He, he's gone to all the kind of show business biographies and autobiographies of the day to find encounters with the Beatles from people like... Noel Coward and mm. you get these moments you just get great moments which give you insight into their personalities the ripples of them the the way they were world changing and the, and the way that it continues to reverberate today so I, I that is the book if I somebody expresses an interest a bit like a, a born again Christian trying to give somebody a tract or a leaflet if somebody expresses an interest in the Beatles that's probably the book that I will send them but I know um, some fans really really don't like that book what do you think the pros and cons are of a memoir that's structured around songs now I say this as someone who's literally written a book <laughs> structured around songs um, <laughs> they weren't songs I'd written sadly I didn't write Buffalo Stance or you know um, <laughs> April the 5th by Talk Talk um, he's structuring these around his own songs what are the pros and cons of that do you think as a because I've got my own theories but I'm interested to know what you think as a Beatles obsessive well broadly speaking I like it um, it's called Paul McCartney the lyrics and I mean you you know most rock and roll lyrics don't work that well when you divorce them mm. from the music. Um, there are exceptions, but it's, it's Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, they're, they're few and far between, even some of Dylan's lyrics, and, and deliberately, I'm sure, just once once they're extricated from the music, they, they don't stand up. And I had this fear that if, if you're Paul McCartney, you are, if you do something, you're doing it for a reason, and if Paul was sitting there now, he'd say, oh, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. Yeah. But, yeah, you're thinking about your legacy because this is a man like anybody at that level, and nobody's at that level, is projects, pitches are coming across his desk every day. Yeah. And that will include many, many books. So why why the lyrics? And I had this fear that maybe um, it was going to be some kind of, like pretentious attempt to uh, uh, frame himself as, um, you know, a, a, a different kind of writer to what he is or uh, add a certain gravi gravitas to, to his lyrics, which I, th I do think he's written some phenomenal lyrics and has um, a great turn of phrase, but I'm not sure that all of his or even most of his are songs that you just want to see off the page and I I thought oh is it going to be a sort of deconstruction of his own lyrics and and that There's was a little a... bit of that in the Paul Mulder introduction is, isn't it but... you know, he's he's a great you know um he's, he's up there with the gods of literature and I always feel a bit strange about you know this obsession with lyrics being literature because mm. there are some lyric books that work brilliantly and have that kind of feel to them like there's a um with the, the Faber series of lyric books the Kate Bush one is incredible and this but it's the oh, way really? she structures them and uh -huh. she puts in some things that aren't as you know and but 
I can't remember if there's some demos or there's some stuff that isn't as well known, but she groups them in these interesting groups. And then you're thinking, oh, why has she done that? You know, there's some more mystery introduced to them. Whereas yeah. um, there are some others I've read that, you know, Neil Tennant, I absolutely love him as a lyricist, but it didn't quite work as well for me. Um, yes. He wants you to know that he has a passion for literature and writing, but I don't think there's any kind of pretension with him to try and present himself as a as a literary great or um you know self seriousness about the lyrics mm. um but what i think it does a really good job of is uses the songs as aid memoirs yes um so in the same way as you'll get a better interview out of somebody if you take some things for them to look at and jog their memory yes i think that's that's what he's doing with these songs and in these conversations with Paul Muldoon. Now, the the trouble or, or a difficult thing if you've ever interviewed Paul McCartney, is, as you'll know, is getting him off script because yes. <laughs> he has spent most of his life um, telling these stories and he has honed those anecdotes mm. to the point that... You, you question how much, and this is true of all of us, how, how much is a memory and how much is, is rote? How yes. much is he saying that's, that's rote? And um, it's, it's, looking for, it's looking for him and his life in between those stories more than I think it's about the songs themselves, which have been pretty well documented. Although what's interesting about it is it's Beatles heavy. There's a lot of wing stuff in there, but um, just just what he chooses is interesting. If, as a as a fan, I'm not sure that I would choose anything from 2018's Egypt Station. But here we are. He 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 goes. Um, you know, he goes with a few from that. So you know what what he's trying. You know what, what is he. What's he trying to tell us? And I, I wonder if it, it is partly about legacy and he's accumulated this vast archive um, of photographic materials, documentation. And I wonder if he's he's trying now to get it into some kind of semblance of mm. order while he still can, because we all like to be in control of our own stories, right? But yeah. what I don't think it is, is... He, he brought out a book in the 90s, which I really like, which Barry Miles wrote. Mm. And it was a similar thing. Uh, Miles was a friend of theirs in the 60s. Who, many, many uh, days from now, is that it? Yeah, many, many years from now. Many and, years and from Miles, now, of course, I'm sorry. Yeah, he, um, he, he uh, ran an, um, an art gallery in the uh, an underground newspaper and he was a counterculture friend of Paul's. And you very much got the sense that Paul's motivation for writing that book was it was still at a time where the, the the Beatles were in danger of being set in stone as John Lennon plus three. Yes. And, you know, John Lennon, the the guy that we'd see on T-shirts and peace posters mm -hmm. and the, the definition of what the kind of outsider artist genius should be. And, and Paul quite, rightly although there's a tendency to see it as him being petty but i've got a lot more sympathy for him than that i think was was worried about 
hang, hang on a minute. That's not that's not what I did. That's not what I was. Mm. All this avant garde stuff that that was me. They were living out in the um, stockbroker belt. Mm. I was living in the city. Um, Jane Asher's family and and other things just about living a more urban life opened my mind to aspects of culture that we hadn't considered because of the background we're from. And I was able to open the others up to that. Mm. And I think he was really on a mission for a, a long time in the 90s to to set that record straight, to yeah. rebalance that. And I don't get a sense that with the lyrics, he's, he's trying to correct a narrative, as it were. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In terms of the songs revealing stories, you know, um, which are your favorites? Are there any unexpected stories you found there? I loved when Jane Asher popped up and he just bumps into her in the street. You know, we don't get yeah, get yeah, yeah, yeah. Lot, the the last time he saw Jane Asher, yeah, he it, it, it tells this story that um, the last time he saw Jane Asher at the time of writing, he'd gone for a doctor's appointment in Wimpole Street, which is where he lived with her family, um, and where he wrote so many of the mm. sort of classic early mid period songs. And uh, he he bumped into her outside, and that's 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 lovely. You know, that's not something that's in the public domain. And I also felt sort of Jane Asher and him generally. It's so interesting because she has never really no. talked about that relationship. So just for people who don't know in detail, so they went out until sixty eight, um, mm, and they were engaged. Yeah, you know, they were the the face of swinging London she was this actor he was completely besotted with her but it was also the swinging 60s and certain boundaries were being pushed uh you know and he didn't necessarily like her being an actor and going off and having her own life I have read just slightly you know stuck in the you know Slightly, you know, old-fashioned, misogynistic views, possibly. Oh, and that's been that well, no, I think I think that's right, and I think you know, with all the Beatles, and it's it's more visible with Lennon and McCartney. They grew up in different times in a chauvinistic um, background, mm. and and their lives really are about the their journey from. I hate using the word journey. Mm. Um, stay, st- staying, you know, not staying in that. Uh, set of inherited values and and actively sort of breaking out against them and Paul his mum died when he was a teenager but he was very much from a background where you know you'd drop your clothes on the floor and somebody else would pick them up and then and then you become a baby oh, king son. that's the thing about these boys they be, they they, be, they became baby kings and it's really 
difficult not to get frozen yeah in that yeah if if you grow up in a, a certain you know old old-fashioned chauvinistic background and then all of a sudden you're living a life where every uh every, every whim is catered for every need is met everybody is just trying to figure out how to get you happy uh how to keep you happy i think being able to self-examine and understand what's not great about you and how you could be a better husband and father, which, I mean, it's remarkable what a present daddy is and family oh, yeah. is such a strong sense of that. I mean, in this book, there the are time, so many photos and details of um, his family, you know, his parents and his children, you know, Polaroids and stuff. It's really, really, really lovely. And that may be why I think my theory is he wasn't seen as cool for a long time because, you know, he went off to live with his family and spent a lot of time with them and had his wife in the band and made this little family business, which, you know, was you yeah. know, seen as cool now, but it wasn't seen as cool then. The emphasis that he put on family and the way that he was just as happy to do a children's song as he was to do a oh. classical piece or, you know, try his hand at electronic music. Um, I, th I think it's all born out of that, not being scared to, to go where his uh, where his curiosity took him and and I think as a consequence of that we've got a really batshit insane but wonderful body of work that yeah, yeah we'll keep rewarding us for for years to come and um and and sort of beyond that things just sound different at different times a record that sounded terrible in 1986 might sound amazing in 2022 so there's that one and then the other one and I, I get this such a lot when when reading the lyrics is the line from Penny Lane, which I've always loved. And people talk about it being acid tinged, um, you know, the pretty nurse and the poppies and saying, and though she feels as if she's in a play, she is anyway. And I think Paul McCartney has such a keen sense of his life being a movie with Paul McCartney mm. as the protagonist. Yes. <laughs> And yeah. you know, if he talks about um, writing a song like Michelle, he's like, yeah, you know, I think of myself at a party and uh, I want to impress a girl, so I want to be a bit French. And it's it's all this kind of third eye stuff. And I think that's why people can find him a little bit hammy sometimes, because next to John Lennon, what comes out of his mouth, there's, there's almost no filter be between brain and mouth. Whereas Paul is constantly constructing these little uh, scenarios and stories, not just in his songs, but in, in the kind of version of his own life. And I don't know if that is as a consequence of trying to process his own fame over a lifetime, or if that's the person he would have all, always been anyway, because there's details in, in these stories behind the songs that they're just not memories, right? Mm, that, that, yeah. That the, they're the way that if you were writing a short story yes. uh, about um, what buying a record was like in 1958, it's, it's all the detail you would write. It wouldn't be any kind of actual memory you can access. So he's, he's, a, he's a storyteller, even in his own life. I once asked him, I think, like if you were flicking through the channels late at night and the, there was a, a sort of unauthorised Paul McCartney documentary 
the next channel up. Do you keep flicking or not? And he said, oh, yeah, I'd keep flicking, but I'm not sure that no, he would. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. I think he said, oh, oh, I remember him. I remember that book. And what's he going to say about me? <laughs> uh, and I, I think he likes, the, you know, I think he's a Beatles fan and he, he likes the story. But what's really interesting, even with this, which is, yeah, a big thing with all of them, but especially Paul, is I was there. Who are mm. these people to write books and say yeah. what happened when I was there? Yeah, and that was the revolution in the head criticism, I remember. Just to get back to the book, there's some lovely details that I feel do show the real him that come through, or just little details that are just a bit daft. Like he talks about in I'll Follow the Sun, um, he, he talks about the lace curtains in his homes back in Liverpool and how he still has them now. I just love that. Um, he yeah. talks about... Um, how the Beatles used to love something called bog echo, which is basically a kind of tape echo that sounded like if you were in a toilet and a yeah. really toilet. You know, it's those kind of details that you can imagine a pal chatting um, to you about. Um, it, it, it does, It you know, the, the, their feet were so on the ground. Like there's something he has figured out about his own sanity. And I don't know if it's a, through watching people around him that connecting to ordinariness is key for him. Are there any specific bits of the book that you really loved in relation to that? Um, I, mean, I, you know, I don't know, this might make you know have to lift the whole book out. Yeah, let me just grab it. <laughs> it is a funny thing because, I, you know, it is a hard book to sit down and read start to finish, so you end up flicking. I didn't, and I, and actually. Remembering I, where you flicked. I so went it's... straight to certain songs. I don't know if yes. you did. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I went straight to... Pipes of Peace, which I write about in my book, a song that really reminds mm. my late dad. Um, because I was like, you know, that's and that's a song that isn't necessarily seen as a canonical Paul McCartney song, but I love it, um, partly because of the personal link, but also because I think it's just a beautiful song. What what did it do for you reading about it? Oh, I loved it. And he, took, he writes about how the first line um, of it is um, taken from a poem from a book he found in Daunt's Bookshop in Marlebone and, um, and how... You know why it was it was written um, for charity, I think, but it's it's one of his songs that was meant to be connecting with a younger audience as well. Um, you know, it's about um, you know it's about war. It's you know released in nineteen eighty four. You know, this is the height of the Cold War, so you've got all that going on. Um, there's very specific. You know, I, I didn't go to We All Stand Together because I just thought, I wonder if he's put it in. <laughs> you know, if <laughs> the Frog Chorus made it, and they have, and he does this quite long entry on that and there's like a picture of um june whitfield during the recording sessions for the film that it goes with and which i, I really loved um and uh you know how he, he talks in that bit about how you know stella and james were still pretty young so he was writing songs that they could sing and you know people forget that about him as a songwriter he had young kids there's a lovely youtube i don't know if you've heard it. it's some bootleg thing that's that's leaked out um it's very personal it's him with i think james and stella maybe mary i, I guess heather would have been a bit old by that point and he's telling them a story but it's yeah. he's making it up as he goes along but he's playing the piano at the same time and introducing different characters and half singing and sort of uh, almost scoring the bedtime story that he's <laughs> with the piano it's really lovely it's interesting um i don't know if you read david hepworth's review in the observer my old boss at word magazine mm. obviously he's written many best-selling music books himself and that's where we met wasn't it he was it was when he published nothing yes. was real the beatles were underrated and we were did an event for the words in your ear uh live podcast recording um and he talks about how paul muldoon's presence helps boost mccartney's status 
Um, uh, David in this review said he was presumably the one introducing words such as epistolary and intertextual into the conversation. Macarelli resists an upmarket comparison. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, a bit mean, Dave, but, you know, poss- possibly a grain of truth in that. He's a great lyricist. We can't get out of that, you know, and he was somebody who was fascinated in all these things, you know, and this rich world around him, books, plays, radio, you know, fascinating stuff. I'll tell you what's interesting to me, actually. There's um, one, I forget which one, but where he mentions having um, read a biography of some artist, de Kooning, who was, who I oh, think yeah. was a friend of his. They the got to know each well. other. <laughs> yeah, so as a man who has a hard time with other people writing books about you because they uh, don't represent your story properly, to, to know that he is an avid reader of biographies is is quite an interesting detail, yeah. I think. I think he's trying to protect himself as well, isn't he, in many respects? Yeah. You know, I think he's somebody who probably does have a very close family life. He probably keeps in touch a lot with his family back in Liverpool. Um, and he's trying to kind of connect that together with, you know, Paul McCartney, the, you know, the, the, the God. You know, he is seen as this sort of godlike figure these days, isn't he? You know, after the Glastonbury performance um, recently, you know, the huge Disney series Get Back, which you've mentioned as well. You know, he inspires such adoration these days. Yeah. Why do you think he, he does? I think the Beatles' legacy has been very well managed. And if it starts to dip, certainly in the, uh, since the 90s, if it starts to dip, there's always something that's going to come along and reframe them like Get Back has. And I think alongside that, Paul has been... I mean, not always successfully, but he's he's been careful with the projects he's chosen, like this this book, and then the subsequent. It wasn't a, a huge exhibition, but the subsequent uh, exhibition at the British Library around it, the films that he makes, uh, the way the Rick that Rick Rubin thing as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, the Rick Rubin thing, and and again, the Rick Rubin documentary, which is called Three Two One, I think, which was on Hulu in the states, and I think is on Disney. It's it's Rick Rubin and Paul listening to Beatles master tapes. It's it's very much of a piece with this book, and you don't necessarily get sto- that many stories you haven't heard a hundred times if you are a certain level of fan. But I mean, I don't know about you, but I I could sit and watch footage of an artist going back to work they did in their youth and just watch their face. I mean, that's, that's oh, my yeah. favourite thing. Absolutely. I you know, love it. A slight diversion, but there's a series that has um, R.E.M. looking back at recording Losing My Religion and just Michael Stipe's face listening to oh, his Oh, yes, yes, I have watched shot. that. It's and amazing. Just, yeah, and Michael that's Stipe's not my favourite oh, R.E.M. song. Oh, gosh. But I, yeah, yeah. He's kind of like yeah. slightly pained listening to his younger self. But yeah, I guess this is Paul McCartney, you know, encountering his younger self, you know, and and showing it up to us, you know, with all the lyrics and the photos. Obviously, it's curated, but he's trying to, you know, give enough details to people like you and me to, you know, keep them going. Um, and um, even if he is curating his legacy and it's all, you know, um, quite managed, there is this real affection towards him now. Yeah, I don't think that's been true for, you know, our childhoods. I think now that the, the John Lennon as genius and Paul McCartney as um, a guy who could have been a Tim Pan Alley songwriter who just got lucky to meet this genius. Now that that narrative has been rewritten and people understand, not everybody does, but but by and large people understand his contribution and his genius as equal to Lennon's, now that that has been fixed, I think people then look at him as 
a man who's lived his life in quite an admirable way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a positivity to him. Um, there's a gratitude to him. He's sort of funny and self-effacing. And, and, and whatever that thing that was slightly cringy about seeing a beetle turn into a sort of middle-aged dad in middle-aged dad jumpers making middle-aged mm -hmm. dad jokes, that has evaporated now yeah. that he's 80. And I You think can get away with that when you're 80, can't you? You absolutely yeah. can, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, thank goodness for that. Um, thank you, Jeff. We could talk for, you know, days about this, I know, but um, I'm going to have to wrap up there. Um, thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing Paul McCartney, the lyrics with me. Now, um, to finish the podcast, I always ask for a few recommendations. We've spoken about so many Beatles books. I don't think I'm going to ask for any other recommendations because <laughs> we've given everybody a massive reading list. So I'm going to jump straight to asking if you would recommend a book song for us. So this is a song that you love, inspired by a work of literature. And if it's by the Beatles, we don't mind. But if it's by anybody <laughs> else, that's fine too. <laughs> I, I, this this really wrong-footed me, this question, because what I kept going to was um, song lyrics that you mention a book or an author, like in... Um, well, that's fine. Uh, we'll like that. Squeeze, Pulling Muscles from a Shell mention a, mentions a Harold Robbins paperback. I suppose the, the, the classic one is um, I'm the Walrus because of the Lewis Carroll yes. imagery, the walrus and the carpenter and all that. So, yeah, to... To keep it on a Beatles theme, I think I'd I'd go with that one. Fantastic. We'll add that on. Oh, thanks so much, Jeff. It's been lovely to speak to you. Um, thanks for we, having me. You're very welcome. And uh, we've come to the end. And in the end, as we know, the love you take is equal to the love you make or something <laughs> like that. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, keep those thumbs aloft. And we'll see you next week with another great guest. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening to Songbook. You can find links to the books mentioned in this episode, as well as our Spotify playlist, in the episode description. Songbook is presented by me, Jude Rogers. It's produced by me and Alice Lloyd. It's edited and mixed by Dan Jones, and our music is by the one and only David Holmes. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.